Good evening. Welcome to WCF. Thanks for being here this evening. Thank you if you're joining us online. We're glad that you're with us as well. Welcome. Tonight we're going to uh, enter into God's presence and worship Him. So I invite you to stand and let's worship the fairest of 10,000.
Set the sinner free, oh, pass the name. 
thank you that we can put our hope in you, our everlasting God, the one who has no beginning and no end. And yet you graciously made a way that we could forever have a relationship with you and live with you forever. So thank you. We worship you tonight. Holy Spirit, teach us out of your word this evening, for we want to be more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. Glad to see everybody. Uh, We're continuing our tour through the Bible after a week off for Thanksgiving. Uh, Kerry is the usual tour guide, but he's out hunting. So um, we wish him well. And and, uh, Fred was our tour guide two weeks ago. And I have the privilege of doing it now. So we've come to a milepost here in our journey. And that is, we're going to be looking at the last book in the Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote. So, do you know what it is? Philemon. It's probably one page in your Bible. So, uh, you can start looking for it now. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it. But it's just before Hebrews. Um, And it's, it's just a great book. I'll, it's, it's a unique book in the Bible, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But on this tour, of course, in the New Testament, we started out with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, talking about the person of Jesus Christ from four different viewpoints, four authors. First is uh, Matthew, writing about Jesus Christ, the King, and then Mark, Jesus Christ, the what? Servant, and then Luke, Jesus Christ, the man, and John, Jesus Christ, who is God. So, four perspectives on the person of Jesus Christ. And then the book of Acts, which is a description of everything, a lot that happened between the time that Christ ascended up to heaven and when Paul was still in prison in Rome. It was in prison in Rome when he wrote Philemon. So that's the book of Acts, and it's talking about the Acts, mostly of the apostles as uh, the, the church is formed. And then the 13 books of Paul, starting with Romans. And we're on the 13th tonight, so um, we'll uh, start reading Philemon, I'll read verses 1 through 3, and then I have some introductory comments. We'll go through that, and then we'll we'll, uh, talk about the other letters who are written at the same time, and then we'll get into, uh, back to Philemon, go verse by verse. So, Philemon 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so uh, I, what I have now is, is uh, five introductory comments, and whenever I teach, through uh, any of the books of the Bible, I, I use this same outline. 
And the first one is the author. And in this case, it's very simple. You all know who the author is. We just read it. The Apostle Paul, right? Not too tough. Uh, But some of them, it's kind of hard uh, to figure out who the author is. In this book we're going to study next week, Hebrews, um, in my opinion is we, we, we really don't know who the author is in that case. Now, the second point is the recipients. And so who are the recipients of this letter? Well, it says right here, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. But there's more. Also, to Aphia, our sister. Now, we don't know for sure who Aphia is, but it's probably Philemon's wife. To Aphia our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Archippus is probably Philemon's son. And there's another reference to him where Paul encourages him as a soldier of Christ to do the work that God set out for him. So there, those three, and to the church in your house. And so those, those are also a part of the recipients. And, and we'll see why, why he's writing to Philemon, but also to Philemon's wife and son, but also those people that are meeting in the house. Um, I think you all know that back in the first century, when the church was first founded, they did not meet in buildings like this. They met in homes, and they did that for all through the first century. So uh, we can imply some things as to who this Philemon is just by uh, what's written here. First of all, he, he must be a man of some means because he, he has a house which is large enough to accommodate the church. And we don't know how big it was, but uh, there, were, there were people that met in the house. And uh, he also had slaves. So... People of means had slaves. They had slaves for uh, whatever business they were doing, whether it was uh, agriculture, commerce, or whatever it was. So he he had slaves, and uh, that was the way he made his living. Um, And then also, his house, we know where it was. It was in the city of Colossae. Colossae is a city that... um, does not exist today. There's it's ruins, and it's interesting if you if you get on Google Maps and you you just uh, ask something about Classe, you'll see a picture of a big mound. Uh, there's nothing there but a mound, and there's there's even a sign on the side of the road that points to Classe. Uh, there must be enough people that have asked questions. Where is this city? To where they've they've put a sign up. And it's not been excavated like most of the ancient cities in Turkey. It's, um, it's about 100 miles inland from the coast. So if you were to be uh, on the coast of the Aegean Sea today and you're touring the ruins of Ephesus, which they're, they're just huge, um, that's on the coast. And if you travel about 100 miles to the east, in Turkey, you'd come to this site of Colossae. And um, in the, at the site of Colossae, Colossae was one of three cities, so they were called the Tri-Cities, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. And they're, they're close together. If you go there, 
you can you can see them. You get up on the hill, you can see them. Uh, you can see ruins of Hierapolis. You can see ruins of um, Laodicea. But all you see is a mound where Colossae was. And, and just think about it. In that mound someplace, there are probably some stones that were part of uh, Philemon's house. And I'm sure if the Lord tarries, there will come a day when somebody will make a lot of money by digging through the ruins there and then bringing tour groups in to tour the place. So that's Colossae. Uh, the third point in the outline is the theme of the book. And the theme of the book is very unique. It's a personal request of Philemon. I don't know of any other book in the Bible that has a singular personal request of an individual. And you have to ask yourself, well, why is it in the Bible? It just doesn't seem like it, it would be that important. But as we get into it, we'll see it's extremely important having to do with how the church conducts itself, what it spends its time doing, and um, something about how we as Christians should deal with social issues of our day. So we'll get into that. And then the, the fourth point is the time of the events and history of the period. If you're going to understand any Bible book, you need to understand the history in which the book was written. And at the time this was written, you all know who the big empire was of the day. It was Rome, uh, centered in the city of Rome in Italy. And they had control of this whole area. The place where Colossae was located was a Roman province called Asia. Um, so Rome, Rome was involved, and, and the... Um, economic system of Rome was driven by slaves. And the city of Rome probably had over a million people at, at the time of Paul. And they say that three quarters of the people were slaves. So this is just how they operated their economy. They would go out and uh, have wars and they'd capture women, children, men, and bring them back as slaves. So that was part of their payment for the soldiers is you, you got loot and a part of that loot was slaves. And they had an active slave market in the various cities uh, where slaves were bought and sold. And uh, the Bible says a lot about this. And there's a doctrine called redemption. And that comes from this slave market. How could God bring a doctrine out of a slave market? Well, when Christ died on the cross for us, he purchased us out of the slave market of sin, didn't he? What, what was the price? It was his death on the cross. And because the wages of sin is death, and since we've all sinned, we die, we are separated from God for all eternity unless we accept the price that Christ paid on the cross. And it's just a tremendous thing, this doctrine of redemption. And that, that comes, if you, if you think about the slave market of sin, and you go in there and you buy a slave and purchase that slave out of the slave market of sin, 
You can set that slave free or you can put him to work. You can do whatever you want to with him. You own him. And so that is what Christ did for us. He died on the cross with, with his blood. He purchased us and he set us free from eternal separation from him if we accept the gift that he gives. That is eternal life. So if you're going to understand finally, I mean, you need to understand the history of the period and the whole uh, how the whole economy operates uh, because uh, there's a slave in the story, and so we'll get to that. And then the final uh, part of the outline is when and where was it written? And in the case of probably all the books of the Bible, it's important to know this, and, and no more so than this particular book of Philemon. So, um, the book was written in Rome. It was written in Rome by Paul when, guess what? Paul was a prisoner. And so uh, he writes the book, and Paul was in prison between the years 60 and 62 A.D. He was there for two years. And I'd like to have you turn to Acts 28. We're going to read uh, verses 30 and 31. If it works, it should be up here on the screen in a second. Acts 28, 30, and 31. The last two uh, verses in the book of Acts... And it says this. And he stayed, that is Paul, two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness. So for two years, he was there in what turned out to be rented quarters. He was allowed to rent his own quarters but he was changed, chained to, the, to the, um, the, the Roman guard the whole time. So they, they went, they came and went. But Paul was allowed to meet with whoever, whoever he wanted to. He was able to write books. And he wrote four books while he was there. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and guess what? Philemon. So he wrote four books. The first one that he wrote is um, Philippians, and it, uh, this is important also for the context of the book of Philemon. Um, and it does. There's nothing that says that uh, Philippians was was the first of the four written, but if you read Philippians, you find out that Paul was awaiting trial. Whereas if you read Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, he knows he's going to be released soon and he, and he asks for a place to stay. So clearly, um, when he wrote Philippians, it was before he was re- released. And when he wrote the other three, he wrote the other three at the same time and sent them out together. Um, it was toward the end of his imprisonment in Rome during that period of time. So uh, the book of Philippians comes to bear on our understanding of Philemon 
And so I, I just want to go remind you, we've already traveled through uh, Philippians in this tour we're taking. But um, the life or the, the theme of Philippians is a life in Christ brings joy. A life in Christ being, brings joy. And if you're having trouble finding joy in your Christian life, you need to turn to the book of Philippians and spend some time in it. There are 19 times when he refers to joy or rejoicing uh, in that book. Um, let's turn to Philippians 4.4, 4, which is, for me, the theme verse of Philippians. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And if you can't rejoice in the Lord, you're, maybe you're not alive. You might be dead. But uh, Tom spoke Sunday on Psalm 103. And in Psalm 103, verse 2, it says, Praise the Lord and forget none of his benefits. Have you ever just gone through and thought, how has God benefited me? If you do that and you think specifically about the benefits that God has given you since you became a believer, you can't help but rejoice. The world has no hope. I'm surprised there aren't more suicides than there are out there. But in Christ, we have hope. We have hope of eternal life that starts right now. And in that, we can have great joy. So, um, the other thing I want to read uh, before we leave the thought of Philippians is how Paul got to know this church and... Um, some of the history of it. So turn to Acts, back to Acts 16, and we're going to, I'm going to read uh, several verses here. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it, and a lot of this will come to mind, but uh, I want to bring it back to your mind and make it current before we get on uh, into Philemon. So Acts 16, 16 through 25. And it happened as we were going to the place of prayer. This is Paul and talking about going to a place of prayer in Philippi. Philippi is in northern Greece today. Place of prayer. A slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, it's all about profit, right? They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs 
which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. So here, all through history, we see charges against Jews, and we can hear it on the news every day. Uh, this, this happened 2,000 years ago. 22. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore the robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, and commanding the jailer to guard them securely, and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But look at verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and praising God. And the prisoners were rejoicing, were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them. So, so Paul gets treated horribly. If I would have been Paul in there, I would have been starting to make placards so as soon as I got released, I'd organize a march and get this whole situation straightened out. And what do Paulus and Silas do? They sing songs and they praise God. And does anybody notice? Yeah, the prisoners, they're paying attention to this. This is pretty weird. <laughs> they had probably never heard anybody singing in prison and praising God. Well, uh, you know the rest of the story. The, there was a huge earthquake. They were released. Uh, the guard comes to kill himself because if his prisoners are, are get out, it's his life. And Paul said, no, we're all here. Do not kill yourself. And then the guard says, what must I do to be saved? And what is Paul's reply? Acts 6.31 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Tremendous message. Um, and it comes out of this rejoicing and joy that goes on in Philippi. Okay, so that's the, that's the first book that Paul wrote in prison. And by the time that the letter got to Philemon that the contents of the book of Philippians would have already arrived there because these books were circulated quickly. Paul would send them to a particular place and then he'd say, and, and circulate them around among the churches. And so I can just see, you know, they come into the church in Philippi and somebody's home and they go to the other homes in Philippi where they have churches and they're madly copying them, carefully copying and they get copies out, and uh, before long, the whole church knows about it. Um, so that's the first one. Now, the next one is uh, Ephesians. And like I say, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon were written at the same time. But let's take a look at, I mean, obviously not at the same time, but one after another. And the, the uh, context of contents of particularly Ephesians and Colossians are very similar. You, you can just see the same author uh, having these thoughts going through his mind and then writing them down. And they're not identical at all, but 
but similar topics and uh, just from a little different viewpoint. So let's take a look at Ephesians 6.21. But that you may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. So uh, the way I see it, Paul wrote these three letters Uh, Tychicus was sent to deliver them, and so he travels from um, Rome east, and and, uh, however he got there, doesn't say, but he's got these letters in his briefcase or under his arm, all three of them, and um, and, and so he's he's reading this to the churches in Ephesus, the home churches. and the reason I think he went there first is it's first on the way. So um, it's on the coast of the Aegean Sea, and he's going to have to. He's been traveling east, and he's going to have to go further east to get to um, Colossae. And so, um, as we're reading it, uh, Paul is just writing. Uh, when Tychius gets there, he, he's going to give you all the details about how things are here. And so. Uh, we, we would assume that Tychicus is a favorite uh, or a faithful uh, um, helper to Paul would have given him a lot of information, answered questions, and so forth. Okay, the next one then is Colossae. And so he comes to Colossae, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think the order of things are here. But let's go to Colossians 4. And I'll read 7 through 18. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. So again, um, he goes to one church and another church and another church. And it would have taken, taken some time. But in 7, 4, 7, it says... And as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus. So remember this name. With him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. What does that mean? Well, he he comes from there. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas, cousin Mark, about whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is also called Justice, These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. In other words, they're Jews. And they have proved to be encouragement to me. So they're helpers of Paul. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that that, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. 
And so don't, don't miss this bondservant. Um, he's a bondservant of whom, according to this verse? Jesus Christ. In other words, he has put himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Uh, he has sold himself to Christ. Are we bondservants of Jesus Christ? We should be. We should be. And we should be serving him in whatever ways he has for us to serve. And so you see this throughout here. Uh, Paul will re- uh, refer to various helpers being bond, bond slaves or bond servants of Jesus Christ. Um, there, there is a difference in slaves. There were those slaves, like I talked about, that Rome got when they went out and captured them. And they were slaves for life. They owned them. Uh, there was no release. But somebody could come to you who was, uh, had maxed out his credit cards and he has no means to pay them off. And so he, he would make a contract with you and say, listen, if you will pay my debt, I will work for you for five years and then uh, I'll get your free." Uh, get freedom. That was called a doulos, that kind of a slave. And um, there were a lot of those too. So um, there there was a slave who was a slave indeed. There was a slave who had sold himself or contracted with the owner. But he he was not free to leave until his contract was up. And then there were servants that can, you know, they're they're like employees. They can uh, serve and then leave. All right, so, um, so, so I don't get lost here. We're on verse 13. For I, test, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So that's the tri-cities. They're all close together. And, uh, and they... The churches would know each other in the cities and they communicate back and forth. And when Paul sends a letter, they get it sent around. And when a guest comes, they get him around. So he meets everybody. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nymphia and the church that is in her house. So another house church. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Now, we don't have a book in the Bible that says the letter to the church in Laodicea. Um, So either Paul wrote it, and it it wasn't uh, required by the Holy Spirit to put in the Bible, or some think that this letter to the Laodiceans was actually the, the letter to Ephesus because there's some thought that the letter to Ephesus was meant to go to a lot of churches and no one in particular, not one in particular, and that could be. But that's neither here nor there. 17. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received of the Lord that you may fulfill it. So here he's, he's, um, he's making a plea to who I think is Philemon's son. Uh, you have a ministry. Uh, stick, stick with it. He's encouraging him to stick with it. Uh, 
18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. So just a, a heartfelt letter. And the theme of the book of Ephesians is Christ, or, or it's the body of Christ, the church. The church, the body of Christ. And so it, there's so much in Ephesians about what is the, what is the uh, mission of the church? What is the mission of WCF? Uh, the mission of WCF is not set by the elders. The mission of WCF is set by Jesus Christ in Ephesians 4.12. Uh, so read 4.12 and 13 and find out what the mission of WCF is. is. It's to equip us to do our work of ministry in the body of Christ. That, that's the purpose of the church. And so you do that by teaching the Word of God. Um, that's the theme of Ephesians. The theme of Colossians is Christ, the head of the church. Christ, the head of the church. So the church, the body of Christ, Christ, the head of the church. And now, uh, finally, we get back to Philemon. So... Try to find Hebrews in your Bible, and one page to the left is Philemon. So um, we read one through three, verse four. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. So you can see that Paul thinks a lot of Philemon and those in Philemon's, those in Philemon's house. But uh, he, he gets very personal here, and actually the, the yous and the yours for most of, the, most of it here are plurals. In, uh, in English, for some reason, when I say you... You can't tell when I'm talking to everybody in this room and everybody online or if I'm talking to you, right? But in the Greek, they have a different word for this. They can, the singular is one thing and the, and the plural is another. So when Paul says here, I thank my God always making mention of you, he's, he's talking to Philemon. There's no question about it. In my prayers, because why? I hear of your love. I hear of your love and what else? Your faith. So Philemon had great faith. When God said it, he believed it. And then uh, 6 and 7. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. And um, six is an interesting one because it's, it's kind of hard to figure out. There are two clauses here. He says, Paul says, and I pray 
that the fellowship of your faith. Uh, the word fellowship there is koinonia in the Greek, and sometimes um, you, in churches they have a koinonia hallway or a koinonia room. That's a place where they have, it's their fellowship room, because koinonia means fellowship. And so um, he's saying, I pray that the fellowship or the sharing, uh, a time of fellowship is usually a time of sharing, and so you talk about what Christ has done for you and the joy you have in the Lord and the blessings you receive. Um, So he's saying, I pray that the that the sharing of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So I have the New American Standard here, and the way the New American Standard writes it is, Paul is saying, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through your knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So he's saying, first, you have to know it and believe it. And so as you better know the Word of God and believe the Word of God, your sharing with each other is much more effective. And um, there, there are a lot of people in this church that are just a great encouragement to me. And one of the best ones, we're going to have a memorial service on Saturday, but Gary Templin just had horrible health, and when you'd see him, he always had a big grin on his face, and he he would say something like, God is blessing me in ways you couldn't believe. The guy was dying, (laughs) but he had great joy, and uh, because... His knowledge of God and what God had done for him brought him through all the trials and tribulations that us mere mortals look at and say, how does the guy do it? Well, he does it because he knows how great God is and because of his knowledge. So so let me read this again. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. So I pray that as you're sharing with each other and you're talking and you're eating, uh, whatever you're doing, I pray that that sharing will really be effective in encouraging people on the other side of the table because of your knowledge of God and what he has done for you. So the the word knowledge here, um, you, you may know there's, there's a Greek word that is called gnosis. And gnosis is knowing the facts. And we're to know, know the facts of the Word of God, right? So we study it and learn it. But there's another one that is epinosis. And that is the next step. Knowing it and believing it and using it. So it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to know it and use it. So at one time in my life, I owned some golf clubs. And they weren't bad golf clubs. But I had no clue as to how to use it. And I proved it one time. I, um, I had to go golfing with the company I worked for. And it was that golf course on, um, 
uh, by the airport there on the uh, close to the river. And the clubhouse was over here, and the first tee was right here. So I teed off with all the perfect form, and that crazy ball went right over here onto the deck of the clubhouse. And I looked over there, and everybody was doing this. <laughs> One of the most embarrassing things of my life. I had golf court clubs. I knew how to use them intellectually, right? But you got you got to practice. You got to learn. And so epinosis is yeah, you know the facts, but you know how to use them. You, you've tried it, and and you've become effective at it. And so you can be effective in sharing. And that was Philemon. So great believer. Um, and Paul's just thanking God for him. Seven. For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. And there are a lot of people in this church that um, I talk to them and, and they refresh me. They refresh me because of how they handle the word of God and because of their love for God. There are some people in the church that I can think of in the past that were grumblers and complainers. What a downer. That is, uh, there was a great teacher here in our church, uh, Ken Menickel, and he was so good dealing with these people. And he'd just look at them with a straight face and say, you're doing a lot of complaining today. Yeah, has Christ done anything for you? Yeah. Well, think about that. <laughs> he, he, he said it much better than that. He was really good. Okay, eight. So we get an idea who this guy is. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper... Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you, since I am a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ. And so it, it reads like Paul's laying it on a little thick here. He's going to ask for something, and it isn't, uh, he's not going to ask him to do something that is. Uh, that he's, he's not saying you're doing something sinful and I want to change it. That, that isn't it. He's asking him, he says, I'm going to ask you to do something that is proper to do. So he's not talking about sin and righteousness here. He's talking about something that is proper to do as a believer. And he says, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. And so... If he's the Apostle Paul and he can order things done in a church, but he's not going to do that. He wants the benefit, he wants the reward to come to Philemon. And the reward's not going to come to Philemon if he orders him to do it. So he, he says, Philemon, do the right thing, do what is proper. Now, up until now, Philemon has no idea why. He's getting this personal letter from Paul, but he's about to. Ten. 
I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Now, uh, Philemon knew Onesimus very well. Onesimus was his bondservant. Onesimus skipped town before his contract was up. And he apparently skipped town with enough finances to get him all the way to Rome. And when he got to Rome, Paul calls him his son. When he got to Rome, luck would have it, or maybe it was God's direction, Onesimus made it to the rented quarters where Paul was. And um, Onesimus was in a position where he was willing to listen to what Paul had to say. Paul gave him the gospel, and Onesimus accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And so Paul calls those his son, his sons and his daughters. He had led uh, Onesimus to Christ there in his imprisonment. And um, there's a play on words here. The favorite name that owners gave their slave was Onesimus. Onesimus means useful. So here's useful. Now in front of the guy who he was useless with because he skipped out and stole something from him. And um, I don't know how it would, it would be so fun to have been there and seen what went on um, and what Philemon had to say. If I were Philemon, I think the hackles in the back of my neck would first kind of rise when I heard the name Onesimus. And uh, then probably because of what Christ has done for me, I might have got off my high horse and listened to what Paul's request was. But uh, 10, again, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who was formerly useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. So Paul says, he was so useful to me in Rome, I, I, I'd still have him here, but the proper thing for me to do is to send him back, he belongs to you, And the proper thing for you to do is to accept him back as a fellow believer. And Paul says, um, you know, he he hints pretty clearly. And, you know, if you could see it in your heart, why don't you send him back here and help me out? Fifteen. For perhaps 
He was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever. Perhaps, do you think? For sure, I would say. For sure. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. And uh, so this this tells us a lot about how we should um, view others in the church and how we should treat others in the church. And we'll we'll, uh, get a little more on that later. 18. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So this is the doctrine of substitution. I'm willing to take his debt, charge it to me. Uh, Don't worry about getting it from him. Don't worry about writing it off. I'm more than happy to take the debt. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self as well. Why does Paul say that? Paul had led Philemon to the Lord also. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. And here um, I'd like to uh, quote, well, it's going to go off on the board here. 3 John 4, 3 John 4. Uh, it's a verse I memorized this summer. I have no greater joy than that here that my child, child is walking in truth. I have no greater joy, but here that my, that's yeah, children, isn't it? Children walking in truth. And, and you know, that's true. Every one of you believers when you hear that your children are walking in truth, is there any greater joy than that? And the corollary is, when you hear they're not walking in truth, that is really sad. But what greater joy to hear that your children are walking in truth. And for me, my children are anybody that I had the opportunity to minister with. And when I hear that they're walking in truth, it gives me great joy. I had a, I taught in in Ukraine uh, for 13 years in in the month of October. So I just there in the month of October taught in a Bible school. And uh, the first, one of the first students I had um, was, um, he, he had, he was old enough to have been there in Soviet times. And he became a Christian and just loved the Lord. And uh, he wanted to be a pastor. And he was pastoring in a church. And they didn't, they didn't think he was pastor material. And so they fired him. And it was really hard on him. And I was concerned about him. What, what's, what's Victor going to do? And uh, I just got... Um, 
a letter from a missionary friend of mine who had visited Victor. And um, Victor had been working in a church north of Kiev when the Soviets came through, when they first came down, or not Soviets, but the Russians. And uh, he had to flee, and they ended up occupying his apartment and blowing a big hole out the wall. Um, but then, of course, the Russians got chased out, and, and uh, he uh, got reestablished there in his church, in his home, and the pastor of this church, he was, he was working in the church, not as a pastor, but he, but he was teaching in the church. But the church had some doctrines that were different from what, what he believed. But still, they accepted him to teach there. But in the war, the pastor of this church left Ukraine and left Victor in charge of the church. So this friend of mine who just visited him about a month ago said, Victor is just doing wonderful. The, the people love him as pastor. He has a Bible class every day. He teaches on Sunday. He has a Bible class every day. And the church is growing. And I just, uh, I just praise God. And, and here's Victor. I, 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 I consider him one of my children. And he is just walking with the Lord and doing wonderfully. Um, so, so I can really relate to what uh, Paul is saying here and what John said in, in uh, 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than this, to hear my children walking in truth. Okay, so pressing on. 21 through the end of the chapter. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will even you will do even more than what I ask. At the same time also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So it's a very unique uh, book. It's a book with one request. Take your fellow slave back as your partner in Christ. And um, we, we don't know the outcome, but I have to believe that the way Paul describes Philemon, he was a great believer, and he did accept him back, and, and I wouldn't be surprised by what he sent him back to Paul to, to continue ministering with Paul. Uh, but uh, what, what, so what are some of the doctrines, what are the, some of the things we can learn out of this for our Christian life? Well, uh, one is just the, the whole concept of redemption. And um, what what Christ did for us in uh, redeeming us by his blood. Another one is substitution. Uh, Paul said, if he owes you anything, put that in my account. I'll, I'll be the substitute. I'll take care of it. And Christ was the substitute uh, for our sins on the cross. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in him. 1 Corinthians 5.21 uh, The next one is the gospel. 
The gospel so important. We should all be giving the gospel, which is, just learn John 3.16. Don't try to do it in your own words. Do it in John 3.16 words. That, that way you won't get it muddled up. Okay, it also tells us something about the church and social issues. Isn't it interesting? Paul didn't, Paul didn't start a campaign on eradicating slavery in the Roman Empire. He didn't say anything about eradicating slavery in the Roman Empire. He didn't even say it was bad. It was bad, but, but that, wasn't, that wasn't what he was sent to do. He was sent to instruct the church and the man who owns slaves how he should treat his slaves. He should treat them as fellow believers and, and not um, take on some cause of some social cause. And um, the way a lot of churches end up uh, being restaurants and breweries, church buildings that is, is they start taking on social causes. They try to feed all the hungry in Portland. They try to do one thing and another. And that's not the job of the church, folks. The job of the church is to equip believers to do their work of ministry. And that's by having Bible classes like Carrie does. And I, I just, I'm just thrilled with the job Carrie has done since he's been here. Always emphasizing the Word of God because the Word of God is powerful. And it's, it's that that we, um, we need. Uh, also, uh, another doctrine is how believers in the body of Christ should relate to each other. And in the body of Christ, there are no differences. Um, there's not union management. <laughs> you can be in the union. I can be in management. We work together in the church. There's no distinction at all. Um, commissioned, non-commissioned officers, commissioned officers. There's no distinction. <laughs> There's nothing like that, right? Um, we're all uh, members of the body of Christ. We all have a job to do. We all work together. Male or female. No distinction in the body of Christ as far as is one is better than the other at all. A slave or free. No distinction. Another doctrine is, uh, um, let me read Colossians 3.1 in that regard before I go on. Colossians 3.1. Pretty soon Tom's going to open the trap door here and I'm going to disappear. <laughs> Thank you. Colossians 3 1. 3.11. A renewal, he's talking about in the church, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. But Christ is all and in all. 
So get used to the person sitting next to you that looks different from you, right? <laughs> there is no distinction. Yeah. Um, imputation. Imputation is an important doctrine in the Bible. Um, uh, our sins were imputed to Christ's account uh, so that we can be accepted by him. Um, so Paul says, accept him, accept Onesimus, just like you would accept me. Just like me. And then a relationship between slaves and masters. And um, I was going to spend more time on this. I don't have it. But uh, he talks a lot about it in Ephesians. He talks a lot about it in Colossians. And he says, slaves, work for your masters as if you are working for whom? The Lord. Masters, treat your, your slaves Kindly and with respect. He doesn't say anything about get rid of them, set them all free, but here's how you should treat them. So I'm not, I'm not advocating for slavery by any means, and I'm glad we don't have it. And uh, but but that's not the job of the church. The job of the church is not social issues. The job 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 of the church is equip the saints so that they can do their work of ministry and part of your work of ministry is to give the gospel. So with that, we'll end with this great book of um, Philemon. Our Heavenly Father, um, we fail you so often and yet, Father, you pour your benefits out on us and we thank you for that. Might we thank you for it more than just around Thanksgiving. We need to thank you for it every day. And Father, you, you are such a great God. And um, Father, help us to be a testimony to others. When they see us, might they see the love of Christ in us and not um, somebody that is thinks they're more important than other people or better than other people, but, Father, might they see poor people who Christ has blessed in many ways. So we just praise you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
said amen praise jesus have a blessed rest of your week thanks for joining us in the study of god's word with pastor carrie wacker we'd love to have you join us in person for worship each sunday morning at 9 a.m or 10:45 a.m we also meet wednesday nights at 6:30 p.m warren community fellowship is located at 56 523 columbia river highway in warren oregon between scapoose and st helens For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.